0: listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples— Jesus had been again praying, and of the four gospel writers, Luke is the one who most highlights that Jesus is somebody who regularly goes off and prays. Presumably, the disciples had become quite aware of this, maybe even a little bit challenged by it. I mean, after all, as Jewish men, they would have been well aware of the expectations placed upon them to pray in a prescribed daily pattern. But maybe like most of us, there are some days when that's a whole lot easier than others. and Some days, weeks maybe, when prayer falls to the side altogether. Quickly muttered prayers on the beach... Once the fishing nets had been cleaned was one thing, but what they observed in Jesus was something else altogether. So Lord, teach us that. Teach us what you do when you go out to pray, because it seems to hold you together on even the toughest of days. And then maybe in an attempt to kind of prod him just a little bit, Teach us just like John taught his disciples to pray. What follows, of course, is a a shorter version of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer that's used liturgically, the familiar prayer, is drawn from Matthew 6, where it's said in the context of the three-chapter-long Sermon on the Mount, and taught to the multitudes... David Loos suggests that what we have here in Luke's account might actually be best called the disciples' prayer because it's presented as being taught to the disciples in response to their very specific request. It begins in a typically Jewish way, with doxology or praise, Father, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. But it's also in a way that presumes a kind of familial intimacy. Yes, God is named as holy, yet Jesus tells them they are to relate to God or speak to God or pray to God as a child to a parent. That's significant. Your kingdom come. Bring your reign fully upon us, in other words, but in the meantime, while we wait, give us each day our daily bread, strikingly simple, bread for today, basic needs, period. And forgive us our sins, forgive us those things in which we've gone astray, missed the mark, or perhaps been simply indifferent to others' needs. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Now, notice that wording. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Forgiveness is presumed as something that disciples are simply to do. That word, indebted, is also a very particular one. If someone has hurt you, or slighted you in some way, Jesus is saying to them, make the decision to simply drop the grudge. Don't hold on to it. Just the same way you can decide to simply drop a loan that somebody owes to you. Don't worry about it. It's done. Now, it's not easy. Sometimes the decision to forgive can take a long time and an equally long time to percolate from a decision down into the depths of your soul, somewhere closer to your heart. Forgiveness isn't easy, but the mandate remains, drop the debt, forgive, for you have been forgiven. And then finally, do not bring us to the time of trial, which actually draws the prayer in a sort of a circle from your kingdom come, Bring your reign upon us to this closing petition that essentially asks that whatever this world may undergo as we wait the fullness of God's reign, may it not be more than we can bear. That's the prayer he teaches them. But then it rolls forward from the prayer into this funny little parable about the friend at midnight which at least on a surface reading pictures God as a slightly grumpy, sleepyhead who is singularly disinterested in rising to help, with prayer pictured as a kind of persistent nagging. Because of the man's persistence, the sleepy friend will get up and give him whatever he needs. And cap that off with, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. And you've got what seems to be a fairly tight picture of prayer as persistence or as nagging. But there is a problem with that. Nicely summed up by the theologian Robert Ferrer Capon. In fact, Capon writes, in fact... Persistence doesn't win anywhere near so often enough to be held up as the precondition for God's answering of prayer. And I will not let you hand me the cheap, cruel bromide that when persistence doesn't win, it probably wasn't real persistence at all. Tell that to somebody who has asked and sought and knocked until her knuckles bled for a child who eventually died of leukemia anyway. Right? Like we know those times when there's something that we have been praying for, for somebody else. So we know of these situations where church communities gather and pray and pray and pray for somebody who's sick or a child particularly because that tugs on our hearts and it seems like, But is it because that mother praying and knocking her hand till it bleeds wasn't persistent enough? Or maybe couldn't quite find the right words or the right formula to cajole God into acting? No, that's simply not on. That's bad theology. So here, David Lose would point out that the Greek word, which our translation renders as persistence, which the vast majority of English translations have rendered as persistence. Because of his persistence, the friend will get up and give him whatever he needs. That word is actually better and more conventionally translated as shamelessness. Shamelessness, in Lose's words, implies a boldness that comes from familiarity. So he says, note that the parable's breadless fellow asks only once, making bold to count on his neighbor's conformity to the duties of hospitality. He is in this sense shameless, counting on his friend's desires not to fail communal expectations. So also Jesus intimates, Should we make bold to offer our petitions to God, shamelessly calling on God to keep God's promises? And at heart, what are God's promises that we might shamelessly call upon? More specifically, what is the covenant pledge God has made to us in and through Christ Jesus? Simply this that death will not have the final word, that what looks like total losing, death on an executioner's cross, is in fact that thing which kicks open the door of life. So come boldly, shamelessly to God in prayer, not trusting in your own fabulous talents, your abilities as some spiritual success story, a prayer warrior who has all of the right words and can pray them all through the night. No, remember, the parable tells the story of someone who's not done even a good job of stocking the kitchen with enough bread to make sandwiches for a visiting guest. Come shamelessly like he did. I have blown it. I got nothing here. I have a house guest I didn't know was coming. I'm sorry to come knocking at midnight, but what am I going to do? You're my friend. Shamelessly asking. Shamelessly admitting that our own reserves are low. We know, like those disciples... That whatever it was that they saw in the face of Jesus after he'd been in prayer is something we kind of need. Persist in that, in fact. Nothing wrong with persistence, not on its own. Isn't that what drew the disciples to ask Jesus to teach them about prayer in the first place? What is that that you do and keep doing and it keeps working on your soul? Teach us that. And yet, let me give you a little dose of Robert Capon again, who writes, Try at least to remember that no matter how persistent or productive your prayers, there will inevitably be on some dark day one whoppingly unproductive prayer of yours the prayer to be spared your own death just one more time. God will answer, Sorry, the door of your life is already shut. All my children are in bed with me, in the bed of my death. And I'm not about to rise from the dead just to give you back the same old two-bit life you were perishing of. But... Bring me a shameless acceptance of your own death, and I'll show you how I really do business. Bring your lastness, your lostness, and your littleness to Jesus, and do it shamelessly in prayer. Bring your deadness too, be it the kind of here and now deadness of apathy or hopelessness or just loss of energy that we sometimes feel or your literal death at the end of your life. He wants it. He wants all of it. He wants you to shamelessly bring it to him. A bit like that sleepy man at midnight in the parable, he has risen up to make it all happen. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.